Devin Butler knows just what he wants to be. Free dirtbag. Butler thinks he's a real cop. Put me down. I meant it in the nicest way. <laughs> Devin, you gotta stop playing stupid cop games. But when you're a cop, people don't sass you. But now... Young Devin here witnessed a crime earlier this evening. You need me to testify and identify, right? I don't think I like that question. Why? I'd like to cut a deal. What? He wants to be a cop. Why do you want to be a cop? Look at this guy. Bad back, bad marriage, bad attitude. Oh, I'm sorry. I broke the nose. I think I can fix it. He's seen a lot of action. But he's seen a lot of TV. Haven't you heard about secondary smoke? My still-forming lungs may be shriveling into green chunks of mucus. I want you to drive him around for eight hours. I can't. I don't get along with kids. I don't, I don't like them. They don't like me. I have nothing Nobody to cut. I can't have any fun with a kid. You take a kid to a bar, he has one drink, he falls off the stool. What? You don't have to get up to impress me. Thanks. Where his fantasy ended. My grandson has seen all I want him to see a police no, no. Their real adventure began. Put the pedal to the metal, burn rubber. Let's go kick some. Oh. I need a diversion. He was a bad boy, boss. He called me pig. They're two cops learning to meet each other halfway. That was just like Miami Vice. Burt Reynolds. And introducing Norman Golden II, cop and a half. What are you? I'm your worst nightmare, an eight-year-old with a badge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Burt Reynolds and Charles Bronson podcast. What am I looking at this time? I am looking at the movie Cop and a Half. Came out in 1992, I believe, or 93. Uh, 93, actually. Just looked it up. This movie stars uh, Burt Reynolds and is directed by Henry Winkler, The Fonz. And the movie opens up with these opening credits that make it look like a kid's film. The credits and the music really set this up to be a kid's film. And it's not a kid's film. It's only rated PG, but there's a lot of stuff in here that is really questionable that I think parents would want their children to see. We'll get into that. We open up and there's two kids playing uh, cops and robbers at the playground of their school. Devin, our main character, is the cop and his friend Ray is the robber. And they're running around the schoolyard. And I appreciate the fact that they give Devin a squirt gun, which is yellow, so they don't have him using a realistic gun, which I think would have been problematic on this shoot on this film. So I like that they've done that. Now, the thing is... He's got a walkie-talkie that he's talking to his friend with, who's the bad guy, but he uses the walkie-talkie to say that he doesn't have time for backup. He's using the walkie-talkie to tell this criminal that he's chasing that he's not calling for backup. It's right off the bat, it's just... I don't want to nitpick this film, but why would he be in constant communication with the guy that he's chasing with a walkie-talkie? I know they're kids, I know they're playing, but... It just seemed weird to me right off the bat. And he says, do you feel lucky, punk? So that means this eight-year-old has seen Clint Eastwood movies, I'm guessing. Well, he chases his friend around, and he opens a door, and a teacher is standing in the doorway, and he shoots him in the crotch with the squirt gun and gets his pants all wet. And then he runs around, still looking for his friend, 
And he jumps into the boys' room and he rolls on the floor. And I just thought to myself, oh, that is so... Rolling on a men's room floor? A public school floor? What are you doing, kid? Yikes. Well, it turns out there's uh, there's two bullies in the boys' room. I don't know how old these... These bullies are much, much older than Devin. Devin plays eight in this... He's eight in this movie. These bullies look to be 16, 17 years old. A lot older. I don't know how many grades the school has, or are they trying to let us think that they failed so many times, that's why they're here. And one of the bullies has a baseball bat. And throughout the film, you see this kid walking around school with a baseball bat. Not one teacher, not a principal is going to say, hey, you can't carry a baseball bat around the school. Well, they end up giving Devin a swirly, and they throw him out in the schoolyard, and all the kids laugh at him. I don't understand that either. All these kids have been terrorized by these two bullies, so they're going to laugh at another kid that's been terrorized? Anyway, the teacher that he shot in the pants with a squirt gun takes him to the principal's office. And the principal is giving him a talking to. And this is your stereotypical asshole principal. He's got a grudge against Devin for some reason, we never know why. It's never explained why he is just being just a total douchebag to this kid. And he calls his grandmother. Devin lives with his grandmother and he calls his grandmother. Then we cut to Devin and Ray riding home on their bikes and they hear a police siren. And they follow this police siren. It's a cop following these two guys on foot. And this is where we're introduced to Burt Reynolds. But we're introduced to him in a kind of unique way where it's him talking. He's got a loudspeaker in his car and he keeps yelling to these two guys, I hate the run. That's going to become, quote unquote, a running joke <laughs> in this film that he hates to run. And he knocks this one perpetrator over with a door and just leaves him on the ground. And he starts chasing this other perpetrator. And that one that he knocked down with a door... A car pulls up, and he gets into the car. And while this is happening, Devin, who has a pair of binoculars with him, sees the license plate number of the car and writes that license plate number down. And they go back to following Burt Reynolds, who is, is still in his car at this time. This happens a lot in this film, where these kids can follow automobiles on their bicycles. I don't care how young and how strong your legs are. You can't follow a car with a bicycle. But that's what they do. Burt Reynolds is following this other perpetrator. And he starts running through the alley. He starts crashing his car through these fences. And he finally runs the guy. He finally runs, basically runs the guy down. And he gets out of the car. And they sort of have a scuffle. And this was a weird thing in the movie I saw. There's a sort of a long distance shot where it's obviously a stunt double and not Burt Reynolds. But I don't know why, because there's no stunts going on in that scene. But we then we get a closer shot. We find out that the um, Burt Reynolds' name is uh, Nick McKenna. And him and the perp start going at it, and they start throwing punches. This close-up, it's actually Burt Reynolds. They're, you know, they're not intricate stunts, but it is him doing stunts. And at this point, Reynolds was in his early 60s. So pulling off these stunts, I thought he did a really good job doing these. So I don't understand why they needed a stuntman for no stunts, but when they had Burt Reynolds doing stunts, 
I, I don't know. Maybe they needed a pickup shot and they didn't have him that day. I don't know. The perpetrator that he was following threw a bunch of drugs on the ground. Burt Reynolds ends up cuffing the guy and tying him to his car and taking him and the drugs downtown. So the scene ends with Burt Reynolds driving away with his perp tied to his car, running down, and we get the joke, Not the freeway! Well, Devin comes home to his grandmother. So Devin lives with his grandmother. Once again, we get no backstory on why he is with his grandmother. We don't know what happened to his parents. All we know is that he is with his grandmother right now. And his grandmother's a nurse, and the grandmother has to go to work. The grandmother is a tough, strong person. She is supporting herself and Devin the best way she can. And that sometimes entails leaving him home alone and having the neighbors check in on him. Well, she goes to work, and we have this nosy neighbor that's always making snarky comments. You're leaving him alone again. It, this movie has a lot of tropes and a lot of cliches in it, and we'll get to all of them. And this is so. This is the nosy neighbor that's that nobody likes, and just just she's just a snotty person. Well, Devin's at home at night. And he's watching Miami Vice. And then he gets bored and he goes outside, he's on his porch, and he ha and he sees this black caddy again. A lot of coincidences in this movie. He sees this black caddy, and here's another thing. So this black caddy is driving, Devin hops on his bike, and once again follows this car. It's got to be for miles on his bike. I was thinking, okay, they're driving in a certain direction. They end up in this old cannery, which I think is abandoned. It's not really made clear. Maybe there's one road that leads to this cannery, and maybe Devin knows that's where it leads to, so he meets him up. No. We see shot for shot where he is keeping up with the car. It is amazing. I wish I had that kid's legs and that kid's stamina. They get out of the car. It's a couple of thugs, one the, the one that got away, and then the one that was arrested. And they have this big party there. They got a big spread, a lot of food. They're congratulating him on getting out of prison. Once again, we run into these cliches where they are talking the stuff out loud because at this point now, Devin is in the rafters spying on them and listen, he wanted to know about the drug deal that's going down tomorrow at 10.30. I didn't tell him anything. Nobody talks like that. So they're just spouting exposition in a awkward way, the way that nobody would talk, just so Devin would have this information, which is going to come into play later. They're meeting there, you know, you're, you're here to see Mr. Big. Mr. Big is played by... Ray Starkey, and his name in this movie is Vincent Fontaine. Here's the first glimpse we get of, uh, of Vincent Fontaine. I'm the type of guy that likes to roam around. I'm never in one place. Hey, I roam from town to town. I love them and I leave them because you know that I'm the best. I hop into my car and I... He has turned squealer, and they have tied him to a chair and are, are tying a uh, cinder block to this chair. They're planning on drowning him. 
So once again, yes, this is not a children's movie. There's no blood in this movie, but there's a lot of adult situations that I wouldn't classify a children's movie as. And I think gangsters tying a man to a chair and then dumping him in the water to drown. Yeah, that doesn't really qualify as a children's film. And once again, we get more awkward dialogue. They're taunting him. Did you tell him that it's, you know, it's going to be a, a hundred grand and where, where we're going to do it? They're just throwing out all these lines that this kid, uh, they throw out the name Bobo. It's like, did you tell him about Bobo? That's going to come in later. So all the stuff the kid needs to know, <laughs> these bad guys given an exposition very awkwardly. And they drown the guy. They tie him to a chair, they hoist him out, and they drown the guy. In a comedy scene, uh, Devin makes a noise and they think it's pigeons, so they start shooting up there and the water sprinklers go on and drench him all with water. We cut to Burt Reynolds showing up at the cannery. The reason he showed up is because Devin requested him personally. And we can see right off the bat that Burt Reynolds is playing this that he doesn't like kids. And Devin says that he'll, you know, he'll help him out, but they have to take him downtown. And Devin, I am not one, the, the actor who plays Devin, I God, I don't know his name. Cop and a half, look it up. The actor who plays Devin does a really good job. I am not a fan of child actors in movies. I feel most of the time child actors ruin a movie. Not because they can't act, just because of the characters they play. I think Devin, the guy who plays Devin, does a really, really good job as a child actor in this movie. Well, they take him downtown, and he's looking through mugshots, and Burt Reynolds is not happy. Do you recognize anybody in the book? You have any pictures of these guys from the back? I don't think I like that question. Why? That's the way I saw Let me explain something to you, all right? See, my strong suit is not patience. So what I want you to do is to look at the book there and find someone that you recognize. Otherwise, I'm going to rip your little head well, it turns out that Devin tells him that he has a plate number and he's got this information that he's taken down, but he won't give it to him unless they make him a cop. So they bring in Burt Reynolds' captain, a Captain Rubio, played by Holland Taylor from um, Two and a Half Men. They interrogate him. So there's these three cops, Burt Reynolds, another cop, and the captain all interrogating this kid, wanting to get this information from him. And... It just seems, I don't know, just having this, I just find it hard to believe that an eight-year-old can hold three police hostage with this information, this important information. And he says he'll give them the information if they make him a cop. So the captain, Captain Rubio, tells Burt Reynolds, it's like, drive the kid around for one day. And they go back and forth. He doesn't like kids. And I don't understand. It is obvious that Burt Reynolds is not the man for the job in this. It, we'll, we'll see later. Like the other cop was very, very friendly to Devin. And 
liked him being around. Burt Reynolds doesn't want to have anything to do with this kid. So another cliche, a forced partnership with a kid. And now uh, Devin's grandmother shows up. I don't know why. I mean, I know why they have to do it so the movie happens. But why not just... uh, You're telling me that you can't get his grandmother to make him tell them the information they need. It's not that hard. They can do it. She can do it. But they don't. I get the grandmother sort of reluctantly agrees to let Devin go on this ride around with Burt Reynolds. Right after she agrees to it, Burt Reynolds comes into the room and threatens Devin with a violence. The grandmother says something to Burt Reynolds, but she still allows him to go on the ride-along the next day. The characters aren't that well fleshed out in this movie, but from the few minutes we saw the grandmother, the grandmother was a tough woman. And I cannot believe, after what Burt Reynolds said to her grandson, that she would allow her grandson to ride around with this man. Maybe she'd ride, you know, allow him to ride around with another cop, but not Burt Reynolds. But that's what happens. Then we cut to Ray Starkey's headquarters, and one of his associates saw the kid and saw Burt Reynolds together, and he reports to him, you know, the kid saw something. And our plot is now forming. We cut to the next day at the police station. Burt Reynolds is there. And I'm going to say this. The movie takes place in Ohio, but it was filmed in Florida. And you can tell this because everybody is covered in sweat in just about every scene. We see this scene where Burt Reynolds is starting his day and his shirt is just drenched in sweat. And they haven't even done anything yet. So Burt Reynolds gives Devin a badge and gives him some handcuffs. Burt Reynolds is just humoring him at this time. There's a stakeout and Devin's complaining that it's boring and Burt Reynolds is trying to explain he's he's using a cliche, anti-cliche, where a majority of cops' work is Dullsville, as they put it. It's not all, you know, bang, bang, as he sees on television. And the minute that he says this, Devin thinks he spots a purse snatcher and takes off out of the car and starts running after his purse snatcher. And Burt Reynolds starts driving after him. So we see cut between Burt Reynolds driving, chasing Devin, chasing this purse snatcher... And eventually, Burt Reynolds has to get out of the car and start running. And you know why? Because he hates to run. Once again, Burt Reynolds, in his early 60s, he has to do some stunts. He has to hop over cars. It looks good. He, he does a really good job at this. Well, the kid catches the guy, but it's the guy giving a purse to his wife. His wife forgot his purse, and, she's, and he hands the purse off to her. She gets on the bus... And Burt Reynolds finally catches up to him. And actually, Burt Reynolds is less sweaty in this scene after running than he was in the previous scene when he was doing nothing. So the continuity is screwed up just because of the heat and the sweat on the clothing. Burt Reynolds takes him back. You know, I told you I hate to run. Get that joke again. Burt Reynolds starts getting shitty with him again. He says, give me the plate number. And he gives him the plate number of the black Cadillac. The plate number is... The address is a public library and the name is fake. So the information that he had was wrong. He lets him know, Devin lets Burt Reynolds know that he's got a name. Bobo. That's the name, Bobo. So they go back to the station. At back at the station, 
we see Devin with these two other cops, and these two other cops are having a good time with Devin. They enjoy Devin being around. Why is Devin not with one of these cops? Okay, they can handle him much better. They know children much better. They have a better attitude towards children than Burt Reynolds. Uh, yeah, it just it just astounds me when every time I watch this, just give him to somebody that wants him. But no, he's still, and they look up and there's three Bobos in the city. And once the kid, the kid goes back with Burt Reynolds and they go out looking for Bobos. And the first Bobo, and this is where we get you know, some mild humor in the movie. The first Bobo is a weird painter that paints his whole body in pink and throws his body against canvases. The second Bobo is a guy having a fight with his wife. He forgot their anniversary and she's chucking stuff out the window. And just by looking at it, this, this Bobo is a short, pudgy, bald guy and his wife is an extremely tracked younger woman. I know, hey, maybe they might be in love. It just doesn't it just doesn't play out on the screen that these two should be together. Well, during this scene, Devin is the one who actually talks them back together. Burt Reynolds gives Devin a, you know, you did a good job, kid. So it's a little, you know, a nice little moment between the two. Not heavy-handed, but it, it worked. Now it's at the end of the day. Burt Reynolds has dropped Devin back at home. Devin's like, what time are you picking me up tomorrow? And Burt Reynolds, I'm not. It was for one day. And Burt Reynolds drives off and Devin is crestfallen. So he and Ray, his best friend Ray, go to the store and they see the black Lincoln. So now Devin knows that they're looking for him. They know that he's in this neighborhood. They're looking for him. So he gives his notebook to Ray and Ray leaves. And then the two bullies are there again. Devin convinces the two bullies that the black Cadillac is his grandmother's car. And these bullies with the baseball bat start crushing this car. They are destroying property. I, it's just, I just find that hard to believe. Maybe, maybe this is, you know, when I was growing up, bullies would, you know, you know, give you a wedgie or something like that. They wouldn't you know, these guys are criminals, actually. They're not bullies, they're criminals. Well, the black Cadillac turns out to be, you know, the thug's car, and they come out, you know, they kick him in the pants and they leave. They don't go after him. And I was, I don't know. So if I'm a high-level drug bad guy and two little punks do that to my car, you know what? I don't think they get away. I don't. The, the decisions that characters make are not what you, these characters would do in real life, in my opinion. Well, Devin rushes home, and Ray Starkey is there, and he pretends to be the school guidance counselor. And he's basically there to see if Devin recognizes him. And for the most part, he doesn't. Now, uh, something I forgot to mention, when Devin was back at the cannery, he didn't see Ray Starkey's face, but Ray Starkey was wearing these very, very distinct shoes with a diamond buckle. And Devin saw those. So he saw the shoes with a diving buckle. So for the most part, Devin plays it cool. He realizes that it is the guy after he sees the diamond buckle. Up to this point, Devin has been a cool customer. Maybe a little too, too cool of a customer for an eight-year-old, but it is established that he's a cool customer. He knows how to handle himself. And he has fooled Ray Starkey at this point. Ray Starkey thinks that he doesn't know anything. And that's what he wants... And that's what Devin wants him to think. And the minute Ray Starkey leaves, 
he yells, Grandma! Tipping Ray Starkey off that now the kid knows who he is. Which was really, really stupid and really, really out of character from what we've seen from the kid up until now. And you may think, well, it was because he was in the presence of, of a bad guy. But he's been in the presence of bullies. And we're going to see later in the movie where he's in the presence of other bad guys where he doesn't act this way. So this one out-of-character act, once again, puts us into act two of the movie. It has to happen, but it's awkward, and it shouldn't have happened with the information that we were given up until now. And now the kid has to stay with Burt Reynolds. Okay, so I'm going to start. This is totally, totally wrong on a bunch of reasons. But it's the plot of the movie. It has to happen. They know who he is. we got to put him in protective custody. Burt, he's staying with you. First of all, we've established Burt Reynolds doesn't like kids. Put him with somebody else. Put him with another kid. And you don't want to put him with Burt Reynolds because the bad guys have seen him with Burt Reynolds. Burt Reynolds drove around with him all day. The bad guys may know where Burt Reynolds is. Put the kid in a safe house where nobody knows where he is. They can find out where the kid lived and they know who McKenna is, Burt Reynolds' character. They can find out where he lives. Second, what about the grandmother? You don't think these bad guys would use the grandmother to get Devin if they had to? And they know where the grandmother lives, but the grandmother's not in their protective custody. There's just so many holes in this plan of just letting him stay with Burt Reynolds. It is amazing. And I am not a cop, and I never claimed to be a cop, and I can see these. I can't believe that they, that this is very, very sloppy, convenient writing. Okay? He's with Burt Reynolds. And once again, Burt Reynolds and the grandmother get into it. And once again, I can't believe the grandmother would allow her grandchild to stay with this man who, at this point, despises him. Well, they're in the apartment. Devin makes a comment. Is 100000 the same as a hundred grand? Burt Reynolds says, yes. He goes, Burt Reynolds goes, why? He goes, I just overheard those guys saying that plot point. It's a subtle plot point. Not a lot of stuff in this movie is subtle. That was subtle and subtly works in this movie. They're not beating you over the head with stuff. And this happens quite a lot in movies in the late 80s where it's okay for basically a stranger to pee in front of a child because that's what Burt Reynolds does. Devin's in the bathroom brushing the teeth. He goes in there and he starts peeing in front of him. You're showing your penis to this child that you do not know. No, do, do not do that. And then Devin starts to pee, and he pees on Burt Reynolds' leg. So there's this adult man and this young child who barely know each other in the bathroom with their dicks out. Picture that in this children's movie. We cut back to Ray Starkey, and he's like, yep, the kid knows who I am. Waste him. We cut back to Burt Reynolds' apartment, and Burt Reynolds wakes up, and he's in a cold sweat, and he grabs his gun, and he aims it at Devin. Devin got up to get some milk and he made a noise. And Burt Reynolds is just a nervous wreck at this point. We don't know why, but we're going to find out. And then the next day, he pawns him off to another cop who would be better fitted to be with this child. Which is what they should have done in the first place. McPhailin. They give him to McPhailin. Then we cut to McPhailin and Devin being on traffic control. They got the radar gun. And Devin... Get, and Devin gets the backstory from McPhailin that Burt Reynolds had a partner and a drug bust went down and his partner got killed and he holds himself responsible. Cliche 101. 
man, there if there was a book of cliches, this this story, I don't know who the writer is, but he must have used that as reference because there is a ton of cliches. And here is the one. The cop that lost a partner and won't let anybody get close to him. Boom, right there. Devin's asshole principal comes rolling around and Devin pulls him over. And I even, at this point, you forget that this character is in the movie. He was in the movie for like two or three minutes at the beginning of the movie. And now we see him then. And now it's, you know, now Devin gets to boss him around. If you're looking at it from real life, if Devin doesn't get killed here, he has to go back to school, and this guy is going to carry a grudge. But it's got to be in the scene, the 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 dickhead gets his comeuppance. Another cliche. But we don't really care at this point, because this character has not been in the movie. If this was a more established character, we would care more about the situation. But since we only saw him for a couple of minutes at the beginning of the film, we don't really care. And I'm sure a lot of people may have forgotten that he was in the movie altogether at this point. When Devin's walking back to the cop car, we see the black Cadillac. They're going to run Devin down. At this point, Burt Reynolds is pulled over. He's at the top of an overpass, and he sees him, and he yells down to Devin to move, but Devin doesn't hear him. So he slides down the overpass, and he tackles Devin, and he gets him out of the way of the car. And then he sends McPhail after him to chase them. So now Devin is back with Burt Reynolds. And now we can see that Burt Reynolds is softening towards Devin. And there's no reason for him to soften towards Devin. Why? They were at that right around for eight... They, they, they haven't had enough... To, it, the, the the way Burt Reynolds was set up, he is not going to soften in this short amount of time to a kid that he doesn't know. Well, Burt Reynolds tracked down the final Bobo, and that's where they're going to get him. It's at a biker bar. So what you're telling me is Burt Reynolds takes this little boy into a biker bar. He knew where they were going. He knew this was a biker bar. You're telling me he's not going to take this kid back to the precinct where he's going to be safe while he checks out this biker bar. But that's not what happens. He brings Devin into this biker bar and he's looking for Bobo and Bobo turns out to be this giant biker. Huge. Burt Reynolds is not a tall guy. Burt Reynolds is only like 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, and this guy towers over him. This guy's got to be like 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. And the typical bar fight happens. Burt Reynolds starts knocking people around. And once again, Burt Reynolds is doing a lot of his stunts. And once again, Burt Reynolds looks good doing his stunts in this movie. I have no qualms with him as a 62-year-old man doing some stuff in this movie, which looks really, really good. They didn't have to cut away to a stuntman. It was him doing his own stunts. Devin goes out to the car and hits the police siren and all the bikers scatter. And uh, Bobo gets on his bike and drives away and he puts on a helmet. And this is a cliche that's used in the movies where the actor doesn't know how to the actor is not a stunt man or a stunt person and they have to put the helmet on so they could substitute the stunt person for them and it's going to come into play later so wearing a helmet in this scene has uh, two re two reasons why they did it one to technically uh, help make the film and the other one is a plot point that we'll see later in the movie well Bobo gets away and the next day, we're back at Nick's apartment. So Devin is back at the Nick's apartment. And he wakes up, and Devin's gone. And he runs out. He's looking for Devin. And Devin's nowhere to be found. And Nick is panicked. Which he should be, because... Not because that he's bonded with the kid, but because it's his responsibility to watch this kid. 
as a cop. He runs out, and then we find that Devin went out for donuts, and then Burt Reynolds just unloads on him. Hey, Nick! Where the hell you been? I wanted to surprise you. Glaze or chocolate? People are trying to kill you! Are you some kind of bonehead or what? I'm not, and you don't have to yell. I can't handle this anymore. I cannot handle it anymore. Uh, pick a city. Cincinnati. Cleveland. Take you and your grandmother. You go there. I'll pay for it. You call this being a father? I'm not your father. I'm not your partner either. Fine. I don't want you to be my father. I don't want you to be my partner. I don't want you to be anything. And Devin disappears he he runs to the other side of the street and a bus comes and Devin disappears and Devin has gone back to the school he's going to get his notebook because his friend Ray has put a notebook in a secret spot in the back of their locker and that's why he's there and once again the bullies are there and once again they have a baseball bat well Devin gets the best of the bullies and he handcuffs them to a fence and at this point the thugs show up and Devin needs a way to escape so these thugs see the two guys that mash their car and basically do nothing to them. Once again, man, if if I was a hired killer and somebody messed up my car and these guys are teenagers, you know, uh, use your imagination. Yeah, I wouldn't let it slide. But they do. And they're looking for Devin. All these kids are playing tricks on him and... They yell, you know, the thugs yell to sit down and they go, we're looking for Devin. And they say, I'm Devin, I'm Devin. So they're doing the whole Spartacus thing, which has been done to death. Even though I've never seen it done by children, that was different. But for the most part, that thing has been done to death. And then all of a sudden, the kids start show, throwing Twinkies and milk at these guys. And they just walk away at, I don't know. It's a weird, weird scene. And where are all the adults? There's no adults. There's no supervision. You're telling me all these kids are out for recess and there's nobody monitoring these kids. There's nobody seeing these bullies with baseball bats. There's nobody seeing these thugs coming in dressed all in black in a Cadillac. We cut to Burt Reynolds at Devin's grandmother's house. He's trying to find out where Devin would go. And the grandmother is very, very passive. And I don't see that. If I was the grandmother, I would be furious. She left her grandson with this guy, and he let her grandson disappear, get lost, and she's not angry at all. I mean, she's worried about her grandson, but she could be worried and angry. And once again, the nosy neighbor steps in, and it's there's a lot of sub-characters in this movie that don't... The principal doesn't need to be in this movie. The nosy neighbor doesn't need to be in this movie. There's a lot of superfluous side-characters that just add nothing to the plot. They just add to the runtime. Well, Devin has snuck into the back of the black Cadillac. And the two thugs discover him in the back of the car. And they take him to Ray Starkey. And on the way there, he looks up and he sees a sign where they're going. 100 Grand Street. So 100 Grand didn't mean money. 100 Grand was an address. Very subtle. Not that bad. They take him to Ray Starkey. And Ray Starkey says, lock him in the other room. Why? Your whole goal through this whole movie is to catch this kid 
and wipe him out so he can't testify. You have this kid. Wipe him out right there so he can't testify. I guess they're trying, they're going to wait and try to do it without any connections to them. Cliche 101, don't kill the person you're trying to kill. Keep them alive so they can thwart your plans later. And they lock him in the room. And the room has a phone. And Devin calls the police station and he just gives us, he just gives us, he says, a hundred grand doesn't mean money. He could have just easily said, a hundred grand is the address. It's the same amount of words. It's the same amount of time. A hundred grand doesn't mean the hundred grand doesn't mean money. Hundred grand is the address. Just as quick, just as clear. But no, now we have a mystery. And they take the kid back to Ray Starkey where they're adjusting all these drugs. There's there's a warehouse there and there's, they're just making drugs in the back. This is the deal. They get in touch with Burt Reynolds and give him the message. Hundred grand doesn't mean money. What does that mean? What does that mean? And then Burt Reynolds is driving around and he sees on a bus you know, Grand Street. He's like, that's it, 100 grand. That's an address. And he goes there and he sees Bobo. So a lot of coincidences happen here. I guess they got it. they're winding up the movie. So a lot of things are happening, are coming together all at one point to speed up the plot. Because Burt Reynolds runs into Bobo. We cut back to the, the drug-making warehouse and Ray Starkey is finally going to kill Devin. Well, he's not going to do it. He's going to have his men do it. So he's like, put him in the boat. And at this point, we see Bobo drive in with the motorcycle gear and the helmet. And guess what? It's not Bobo. It's Bert. Another reason why they had the helmet. So they could do this reveal. And Bert Reynolds starts beating up the bad guys. And he grabs Devin. And during all this, he gets shot in the shoulder. So now he's bleeding. So him and Devin drive out on the motorcycle. And they, there's this big motorcycle chase these cars are chasing the motorcycle on the wharfs they're near the dock of this warehouse and then all of a sudden the chase goes from uh cars chasing a, a motorcycle to to a boat chase so they get into the water and now these boats are chasing they have everybody has guns but nobody's firing at them in the water don't know why so it comes down to ray starkey and one of his guys is chasing burt reynolds and Devin and Ray Starkey has a gun and Ray and Burt Reynolds has lost his gun. They've driven into this place where they can't get out. Their only way out is to drive the boat up a pair of pipes. And they're scared. And, and, and now it's, you know, I'm scared. Well, I'm scared too, Devin. But we can do this. And they, and they drive the boat. And it goes up. They crash into some crates. And they're relatively safe. And Ray Starkey and his guy try to do the same thing. And they hit the pipes, and they end up crashed into the side of the building, pinned in the boat. And while they're pinned in the boat, Devin pulls a hook, and all these fish come raining down on Ray Starkey. You know, Devin is trying to patch up Burt Reynolds as best as he can, and Devin has a realization that, you know what, I'd rather be a kid than a cop right now. Then we cut to uh, three months later, and Burt Reynolds is in a boat, rowing with Devin and the grandmother. So they've bonded. It's three months later, and Burt Reynolds is his dad now, apparently. He's part of the family. So this, once again, uh, the small, small time he was in charge of this child, now they're inseparable. And that, my friends, is the opus. Copy.
what did I think? I know I have been trashing this movie throughout this whole podcast, pointing out what's wrong with it through this whole podcast, pointing out how it can be made better through this whole podcast. And I have to say, and I have to say, I love this movie. This movie is a is a wicked pleasure of mine. I know it's schlock. I know it's cliche. I know I know it's not original, but I love it. Burt Reynolds is great in this movie. He's he's just so charming and and I and the kid, like I said, I'm not into kid actors, but the kid he does a good job in this movie. And this movie is silly and stupid and it puts a smile on my face every single time I watch it. So yes, if you're not expecting too much from a movie, if you, if you want a movie, I'm not gonna say it's a it's a good bad. It's it's well made. It'll soothe your soul watching this movie if you don't take it too seriously. You'll have a good time and you'll have a smile on your face at the end of this movie if you let it. If you if you go into it all grouchy and a curmudgeon, you're not gonna like it. But this is one of my guilty pleasures, Cop and a Half. So if you haven't seen it, give it a watch. Let me know what you think. And this is the latest episode of the Burt Reynolds and Charles Bronson podcast. If you want to support this podcast or any of my projects, you can go to uh, my Patreon page, uh, patreon.com backslash Scott White. And if you want to check out what I'm doing, you can go to my website, scottyblanco.com, and that'll show you all the projects that I'm working on right now. And uh, this is Scott White signing off. Uh, check out my other podcast, the Dan Aykroyd Podcast, where I look at projects involving Dan Aykroyd. And I will see you next time here on this podcast, the Burt Reynolds and Charles Bronson Podcast. Um. I can't recommend it's it. It's not up there. There is a no. craft of action pictures uh, that's up in this level. This okay. movie just doesn't quite. I'm changing my opinion okay. now. I'm do amazed. me one. No, I know you're amazed. Do me one favor. Yeah. Look in the camera and say I was wrong about Cop and a Half. It wasn't a very good movie. Burt Reynolds. Uh, no, I won't do that. What? No, no, no. Oh. I won't do that. I. Uh, listen, oh, yeah. I, I saw things in Cop and a Half. Yeah. That, I that no one else did. Okay. Well. In any event, you've done a very good thing, and I've also done a good thing, too, by sticking to my guns. Okay, next movie.